when, uh, whenever, and I mean every time that I recite that uh, sutra opening chant, I remember uh, the late abbess of Z uh, San Francisco Zen Center, Blanche Hartman, saying one day, it isn't that there are so few unsurpassed perfect and complete dharmas. It's just meeting them is difficult. So with any luck at all, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put my maximum effort into, uh, into meeting the Dharma this evening. And, uh, and I would appreciate all the help that you can give me in doing so. Uh, what I, uh, what I wanted to talk about this evening, <laughs> uh, is, uh, the Sandokai, the difference, uh, the harmony of difference and equality, uh, and I asked uh, Jim to please, uh, if it were possible, to make that the chant for service. And then he got back to me a day later and said it was already scheduled to be the the uh, chant for today's service. So serendipity so far is on our side. <clears throat> and um, I uh, want to take just a second to apologize for moving around during the Zazen period, uh, steep learning curve that we're all on. What I found out is this seat that I'm sitting in, that is the seat that I always sit in to do Zoom uh, Dharma talks, is impossible <laughs> to sit Zazen in. <laughs> and I got about three minutes in and I said, oh, maybe if I just grit my teeth really hard, I can make it. And then by about seven minutes, I knew that I was going to have to make a different arrangement. So um, I hope it was not disturbing for me to be flickering in and out. Um, I've, uh, I've been interested in uh, the harmony of difference and equality, even when it was uh, under, traveling under different names for, uh, for a long time. Um, and one of the, one of the reasons for it is that it's amazing. And another reason for it is that um, because I, uh, um, in the rest of my life, I'm a doctor of oriental medicine and a licensed acupuncturist. I've had a lot of opportunity to study uh, um, Taoist philosophy and practices and so forth. And, uh, I've always been struck by how how much this is a uh, a Taoist document. Uh, somebody asked me to years ago to teach a class at the College of Marin uh, that they were doing on religious studies. Asked me to teach a class uh, talking about what happened to Buddhism when it came to China. And uh, I thought about it for a while, and I realized what happened to Buddhism when it came to China can either be described as Taoism is what happened to Buddhism when it came to China, or Zen. And those are very similar answers that uh, I see Zen as the Taoistic uh, uh, version or the Taoistic expression of, uh, of Buddha Dharma. 
And uh, this uh, this poem, I think, perfectly perfectly displays that. And I think, in some sense, it may have been right at the point where the uh, the full uh, impact of Chinese culture took hold in uh, in Buddha Dharma that this emerged. The author of this Shurto was. Um, It was eighth century, I believe, eighth century, and um, right up until then, uh, although uh, Buddha Dharma had been in China for a while, it seemed a lot like the same Buddha Dharma that was in India, and uh, the qualities were, without wanting to uh, to appear to. demean or oversimplify you know in uh if you if you ever have as i have studied with uh theravadan teachers so forth and read the pali canon what you get are lists of you know there are four noble truths and there are 32 parts of the body and you med you know you meditate on these things and the uh practice uh uh is the uh the various uh paramitas and uh depending on exactly what tradition you're in the numbers can vary how many paramitas there are but um but you practice those and it's a list of always seems like it's a list of numbered things numbered objects of meditation numbered practices and so forth and uh and then uh then we arrive in China, and right about this point, Buddha Dharma starts to look a lot different, and um, and the practices are not so regimented, and the uh, the emphasis shifts from just quieting down to. Um, to uh, spontaneous activity so that the uh, the teachers of dharma in uh, in china in tang dynasty and post tang dynasty china don't don't have the same quality as the uh, the arhats and bodhisattvas of india they're very, very dynamic. And this dynamism is, I think, a characteristic of Taoism. Uh, the principle in Taoism is called Wu Wei, uh, which means, which would translate as uh, not doing, uh, but doesn't mean not doing anything. It isn't passivity. It's uh, more like... Uh, it means means something like spontaneity. It means responding spontaneously in the moment to the situation. So um, I thought that uh, perhaps uh, this evening uh, we could read uh, the harmony of difference and unity and follow the Taoist themes through it. 
and um, and see if that uh, opens opens it up in a way that you haven't necessarily looked at it before. Um, uh, For one thing, I I have to say, I I take some issue with the English title of it, uh, Harmony of Difference and Equality, I think may, uh, may work perfectly well as a literal translate, as a kind of literal translation. But my understanding, uh, without being a, a, a scholar of uh, Chinese myself, my understanding of it uh, from a persp- practice perspective, but also uh, from uh, commentaries by, uh, by people who are accomplished translators, is that, uh, that it means <clears throat> something, it might mean something more like the agreement of unity and differentiation uh, it comes very close to the meaning of the uh, the cooperation or the interfusion of um, principle and phenomena uh, of the many and the one. And it begins with the mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. The mind of the great sage of India, of course, is Buddha Dharma and intimate transmission. The intimate, uh, it's been pointed out, doesn't mean secret or hidden. It means no gap. It is transmitted without a gap from west to east. Which was, which was how the uh, Chinese understood the directionality of the transmission from India to uh, uh, India to China, and uh, it's continued to migrate west to east ever since. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. So, in those first four lines, we have. The Buddha Dharma, the mind of the great sage, transmitted from west to east with a dichotomy between west and east that is a dichotomy with no gap. Human faculties being sharp or dull, which is a dichotomy. However, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. The way is a the way translates exactly Tao, and uh, in in Taoism, Tao is understood as reality, truth, which is how we understand Buddha Dharma too. So in China, in China, everything that was just right was that kind of way. And Buddha Buddha Dharma in China became Buddha way. So when it says the way, it's not just randomly talking about some path somewhere. It's talking about the way of awakening, the way of enlightenment. Uh, 
And that way of enlightenment has no northern or southern ancestors. So we have another pair of, uh, of opposites, east to west, with no gap, northern, southern. There aren't any differences between them. Um, at the time of Chertow, there was uh, there was an issue about a distinction between the northern school and the southern school in uh, of uh, Zen. Is this something that everybody's well acquainted with? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the northern school being the uh, school of sudden enlightenment. Uh, of uh, gradual enlightenment and the Southern school being the school of, uh, of uh, immediate realization. Uh, and after the, uh, after the sixth ancestor, a lot of energy was put into distinguishing uh, the Northern and Southern school in order to validate the teaching of the sixth ancestor, who's, whose uh, origins were uh, were a little bit obscure, and there was a, a tremendous effort put in to valid, validating his uh, his position as a real ancestor of Buddha Dharma, including making up stories, including uh, one of his uh, uh, later disciples made up a story about how his rival for the transmission of the Dharma uh, was a gradualist and espoused gradualist sentiments, whereas he, uh, Hui Neng, the sixth ancestor, was uh, a sudden awakening proponent. And uh, the story was added in uh, well after the events by this student and seems to have been made up for the purpose of creating this sharp division between the uh, the foolish northern gradualists and the sharp-witted southern uh, immediate realization school. So this is an example of, you know, just right from the very beginning, we have this uh, Taoist sensibility of setting up oppositions of setting up opposites and seeing how they d- dynamically interact, how there is identity between them, how there's no gap between them, and how they play off against each other. The spiritual source shines clear in the light. The branching streams flow on in the dark. The spiritual source obviously is uh, is uh, enlightenment, awakening. And it shines clear in the light. We should understand that the light is a figure for uh, for the light of mind, of differentiation. Karmic consciousness is the light. Whereas, you know, and, and the spiritual source is unity. Whereas the branching streams are various phenomena. And they flow on in the dark. And in the dark is where there is no distinctions. There's no differentiation. So there's kind of an opposite turn. It's the same thing. There's these uh, setting up of these oppositions, north and south, east and west, light and dark, 
spiritual source, branching streams, light and dark, and they interplay in paradoxical ways. They interplay as identities. They interplay as non-differences. They interplay paradoxically like this. And this, I think, uh, so I, I think Taoism added uh, a lot to the sensibility and the terminology of Buddha Dharma, which we can see in the expression of, of this uh, of this poem, but also the sensibility, the the, the dynamic uh, activity. Rather than rather than being a uh, a, a kind of uh, um, shamatha inducing teaching, rather than trying to get everybody to calm down, this is a teaching that engages one's understanding and tries to light up the dark places and cool out the differentiated places. Uh, and then, as it goes along, again, there are these uh, various uh, various differentiations. Uh, this next section is uh, is a reference to uh, <laughs> is a reference to uh, perception, how perception works, and how perception creates the self. The objects of the senses uh, interact with the senses. This is uh, the way this translation is phrased is a little awkward, but I think that what's meant is this is a, a Dharma teaching. This is a Buddhist teaching that the sense fields, the sense objects interact with the senses and create an activity of the senses and uh, give birth to sense, sense consciousness. And these this activation of the senses and the sense consciousness is what is the body that's what we take to be ourselves it is is what we take to be our physical selves and uh they interact with the senses and yet do not and the yet do not is another one of these paradoxical thing. Obviously, they're interacting with the senses, but they each anyway have their own dharma positions. So the objects, the sense objects, have their own dharma situation, and the senses have their own dharma situation. And the, uh, and the uh, interaction makes it seem like they're the same thing. We can't, we don't distinguish between our senses and the sense objects, but yet the sense object is not the same thing as our sense of them. And they are not, they are not how we sense them. They have their own Dharma position. Interacting brings involvement and this involvement uh, means, um, yeah, it means, actually it means involvement. It means uh, turning, they, they turn each other, the senses and objects turn each other. 
and otherwise they each keep their own place. They each keep their Dharma position. And then talking more about the sense objects and uh, then uh, refined in common speech come together in the dark. They come together in unity or in principle in the ultimate and clear and murky phrases are distinguished in, uh, in the light of creating distinctions, in the light of creating a multiplicity of phenomena. Then the section about the, uh, the four elements and returning to their natures, this is actually a fairly standard uh, uh, Buddha Dharma. The expression, of course, is somewhat, is rather unique, uh, but the various activities of the, uh, of the elements and how they interact. And then once again, returning to the question of how, uh, how uh, um, the senses work, eye and sights, ear and sounds, nose and smell, tongue and taste, Thus, with each and everything depending on these roots, the leaves spread forth uh, is a description of how the uh, the interaction between uh, what we take to be the self and generally take to be an, inde- an independent self and the objects of the world, which are dependently co-arising with the self. And then skipping down a little bit, in the light there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but don't see it as light. By now, uh, in the West, this is this is imagery that should be very familiar. You know, we've all seen the diagram, the Daiji, which is that Taoist diagram, which is a circle with with a wavy line dividing it in half, and one side is dark. And one side is light. And in the middle of the light side, there's darkness. There's a dark spot. And in the middle of the dark side, there's a light spot. And what, what uh, um, Shurto is saying here is that in the dark, there's light, but don't see it as light. In the light, there is dark, but don't see it as dark. Don't see it as opposites. See it as a dynamic interaction. In uh, uh, in a Taoist text that I was uh, reading while I was trying to prime myself to talk about this arcane subject, there's, <laughs> there was a, a list of things and part of the uh part of the list is that uh actually if i can do it quickly maybe i can just come up with it yes goes something like this the essence of yin is yang the essence of water is fire. The en- essence, the energy of water is fueled by fire. The essence of female is male. The essence of the moon 
is the sun. And then in the next section, the essence of yang is yin. The essence of fire is water. The energy of fire is fueled by water. The essence of the male is female. The essence of the sun is the moon. It's this kind of posing of sharp differentiations and then claiming and or demonstrating the essential interaction between the apparent opposites. And he goes on to say, light and dark oppose one another like the front and back foot in walking. So again, he's setting up an opposition, but usually when we think of opposition, we think of they're fighting each other. But you think about the front and the back foot in walking, they're opposite in in terms of being characterized as front and back, but they're not fighting each other. As a matter of fact, it's much more interesting. In order to walk, we need a front foot and a back foot. And usually we think of the front foot as being what powers the walking. But if you think about what it was like the last time you walked, you might remember that it's the back foot that powers the walking. The forward movement is powered by what is behind. And it's what's in front that brings the back part up to meet it. And then in turn, next second, what is the front foot becomes the back foot and in turn powers the forward movement as the back foot. Each of the myriad things has its merit expressed according to function and place. That's how phenomena function. Everything has its merit expressed according to function and place. Phenomena exist, box and lid fit. That's a description of how the world fits together. That's a description of how the phenomenal world fits together. And then there is principle responds, arrow points meet. So this arrow points meet is more than meets the <laughs> more than meets the eye. Uh, it isn't just that arrow points meet. How often does that happen? Kind of never. The image is drawn from a story in a Taoist book, the Chuangzi, in which, uh, in which, one of the greatest archers in China takes on a student and the student studies with him for quite a a while and he gets better and better at the craft of archery. And at some point he gets kind of full of himself and he says, the teacher's pretty good, but I think I'm better. I think I can take that guy. And one day he notches up an arrow and he shoots it at the teacher. The teacher, seeing what's happening, notches up an arrow and shoots it at the arrow that's coming toward him and meets arrow point to arrow point, head on, in the air. 
and knocks it out of the sky. This is a story about in in Buddha Dharma. This is a story about how principle functions. Box and cover joining, meeting is what how phenomena operate. That's the quality of phenomenal uh, integration. But arrow points meeting in midair is a description of how the ultimate responds. The uh, the story actually goes on from there in the trunks. Uh, apparently, the teacher at that point although he has subdued this uh, this murderous student, uh, uh, I think he must say, uh, I don't think we can go on like this to himself, and says to the student, you know, I think you've learned everything I have to teach you. There is an even greater archer who lives up in the mountains, and I'm going to send you to him so that he can complete your education. And uh, and the student goes up into the mountains and ascends the mountains, and he gets up to the area where the teacher lives, and he finds his cave, and he tells him who sent him. And the teacher kind of acknowledges him and says, outside the cave, up in the sky, there's an eagle flying around. Shoot it down. So the archer goes out in front of the cave and he looks up and he can barely see the eagle flying around way high up in the mountains. But he, he does what he can anyway. He notches up an arrow and shoots it, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't even get close. Nothing, nothing happens. And he goes back and tells the teacher, it, it's not possible. I can't do that. And the teacher picks up his own bow and goes out in front of his cave entrance and just points his bow at the eagle that immediately drops out of the sky at their feet. That is a Taoist story about the ultimate and informs, it's part of what informs the sensibility of uh, this poem, this merging of difference and unity. Hearing the words, understand the meaning. Don't set up standards of your own. That is, I think, honor the Buddha Dharma. If you don't understand the way right before you, how will you know the path, the Tao, as you walk? Progress is not a matter of far or near, far or near, but if you are confused, mountains and rivers block the way. That is to say, you have a clear path 
But if you get confused, if you set up standards of your own, if you make up your own version of the Buddha Dharma and confuse yourself, mountains and rivers will block the straight path, which is not even a matter of near or far. Near and far are not differentiated. I respectfully urge you who study the mystery, do not pass your days and nights in vain. This translation of uh, days and nights is uh, actually in the Chinese, if I remember correctly, I think I verified this for myself. It's light and dark. Do not go in vain through light and dark. That is to say, you are on the you are on the Tao, you are on the path, and it is characterized by yin and yang, by near and far, by northern and southern, eastern and western, clear and dark, high speech, low speech. It has all of these differentiations. But the differentiations are in the world of, in the realm of delusion. Don't be confused by them. And so it ends as it began with an emphasis on the dynamic of the apparent differences, the apparent opposites, and the paradoxical unity of that which appears to be opposite each other. The irreconcilable differences are one path. Um, looking at the time, I was going to tell you a little bit more about Chateau, but you've probably heard about Chateau before. Uh, I, I'll just tell you one thing about him. He was, uh, he was probably pretty right character to take up this, this kind of uh, radical re, uh, reframing of Buddha Dharma. He started out, uh, as a child, actually, destroying the shrines that hunters use to make animal sacrifices. And it's uh, judging from his biography, he went off to study with the sixth ancestor when he was about 13 years old. And I can only imagine that the villagers insisted that he go off to study with the sixth ancestor when he was 13 years old, because they probably had enough of him destroying these uh, shrines that they used to, uh, to facilitate their, uh, their hunting abilities. Uh, I, I'll, I'll let it go at that, but he, he was kind of that kind of person. Uh, the sixth ancestor died about a year after he got there, and the sixth ancestor sent him off to study with a senior disciple, Ching Yuan, who uh, 
who helped him find his way. In itself a wonderful story. But again, I feel like I have talked more than enough. I'm sorry, I lost track of the time. I didn't mean to drive you down into the ground like that. Um, I hope this will be okay. And I will welcome, uh, I will welcome your questions and comments. It's easier for me to appreciate your comments than to answer your questions, but I would welcome your questions anyway. I'll, uh, I'll call on people on the Zendo. Um, and Brett, I guess, can tell us that there's somebody on Zoom who, well, I guess I can see if somebody raises their hand on Zoom now. Yeah, I just, yeah. Brett has put it on uh, the gallery view now, so I can see all uh, the people on Zoom and I can see the people here in my peripheral vision. I'll start uh, with, with a, a what your um, talk put me in mind of there toward the end. Um, and it's kind of a, a perception of this uh, that I never had before uh, this text. It, it was uh, something like, well, what, uh, be, be willing to be taught by everything. In other words, uh, refined speech. Yes, I'd like to be taught by that, and I'd also like to be taught by common speech. And uh, I'd like to talk, be taught by the front foot, and I'd like to be taught by the back foot. So I came away with a kind of uh, uh, spirit of uh, openness to being taught by all the opposites. Yes, that's a good spirit. <laughs> I congratulate you on that insight. You, 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 you uh, there was something that you did, I think, but I don't know where the insight came from. <laughs> it came from you. It, it came from you. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, people in the Zendo, uh, people out in Zoom land, I don't see your hands. Oh, no, I, I think I see Malia. Is that Malia in the dark? Malia, please. Okay. I just had a question. I, you said that um, the objects of the world dependently co-arise with the self which I don't, I keep, I don't get that at all. And I was just wondering if you might elaborate on that. Just basic Buddha Dharma. <laughs> it is, it is that, uh, it is that there is no independent self. Nothing is, nothing is completely independent of anything else. Uh, that dependent co-arising, that teaching of dependent co-arising is the teaching of awakening. That is what Buddha hoped that you would awaken to. When 
that that's what you would awaken to. He's hoping also that that's what I will awaken to, is that when I take myself too seriously, when I think that I am the one who is doing, when I'm the one who's in charge, when my consciousness is what shapes the world, when the world is arrayed around me, Buddha would like me to remember that it's actually all a phenomena that comes forth and creates the self rather than the self that creates the world. Mm -hmm. The self creates the world in the sense that the self creates a story about the world, but the world has its own story. And part of that story is the creation of me and the creation of you. We are, we, there is no, in, there is no ultimate independence. That's part, an important aspect of the meaning of emptiness, the doctrine of emptiness, which is the keystone of, of the Mahayana, the teaching of emptiness. And, and what, is, what is taught in the teaching of emptiness is how everything is empty of what is ascribed to it, what we think it is, everything that we think things are, that isn't what they are. And everything we think we are is separate from the rest of the world is not what we are, that we, and we are part of the co-creation of all phenomena coming together to create this present moment, this present person. We could, we could do a month of this. <laughs> you know, the question that you're asking is a very good question. And it's a very important question. And I'm trying to give a straightforward answer, but I hope, uh, I hope I'm not coming off as glib, but. No, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That I have for it. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. It helps me remember. <laughs> well, if you're going to be shy. Oh, yes, Richard. Oh, um, um, he needs to be near that speaker, right? Oh, we were muted. Sorry, you can try again now. Reverend Ango, thank you very much for your talk. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I think Rick is trying to figure out how to unmute. Go ahead, sir. Um, I always appreciate uh, uh, studying or hearing more about the chants that we do in the Zendo. It just brings them alive and, and makes the next time I hear them just so much richer. And certainly your talk did that for me tonight. So I want to thank you very much for that gift. Um, I have a question about Uwe. Uh, was that just a Taoist concept, or was it integrated somehow into Zen? Could you talk a little bit more about Uwe? Uwe is a Taoist concept and um, started as a Taoist concept, but it... Uh, it got integrated into a Zen, but I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure that uh, that it was used that the term Wu Wei was used literally in Zen, but the principle of spontaneous activity, of spontaneous response, has been an important aspect, an important characteristic of Zen teaching and Zen teachers. Uh, certainly, certainly. Uh, since since the eighth century <laughs> and probably before if if you think about uh you know the the quintessential uh zen story the uh bodhi the story of bodhidharma coming from the west and his meeting uh with the emperor wu and uh the emperor says what is the highest meaning of the holy truths meaning the four noble truths and Bodhidharma says, uncharacteristically for an Indian teacher, but very characteristically for a Zen teacher, nothing holy, vast emptiness. And the emperor says, who is that before my eyes? And Bodhidharma says, don't know. <laughs> that is a kind of dialogue that that happened in China after Buddha Dharma came to China. I don't think it happened in India. Richard. Yes, thank you for your talk. I really appreciated uh, you going over um, the harmony of difference and equality and also the the retranslating of the title. Um, and also this made me think about when you talked about that um, sort of Buddhism in the East sort of took on some Taoist uh, teachings or way of thinking of Buddhism. And I'm curious uh, if you had any thoughts on uh, what, um, how Buddhism has changed or what thought from the West has uh, been added to Buddhism um, in like America or England or in the Western cultures? Richard, that's a really great question. And I have trouble answering it because it's the water I swim in. You know, it's hard for me to see from here. It's much easier for our Japanese teachers to tell us than for us to tell. The Chinese didn't know that they were acculturating Buddha Dharma. They just did it. It was natural. They just made it their own. That's going on here too. But, but the Chinese and the Japanese and maybe the Indians could tell us better <laughs> what that looked like from their perspective. Oh, Karen, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Richard. Karen, I think you had your hand raised. Yeah, yeah, I did. Thank you, um, Ambo. Um, my question is, uh, I'm not exactly sure where it came up, but I think I heard you say um, something about the, the path is straight. And um, I was a little surprised at that, but Maybe you can clarify that for me. <laughs> yes, what I was doing was uh, paraphrasing uh, from this uh, from this poem. 
uh, progress is not, uh, uh, if you don't understand the way, way right before you, immediately before you, how will you know the path as you walk? Progress is not a matter of far or near. But if you are confused, mountains and rivers block your way. So he doesn't use the word straight, but um, but I was uh, I was kind of paraphrasing, interpreting it that that from here, this confused person here to an awakened being is not far away. It isn't near, it isn't far. It's actually, actually, if I understand Buddha Dharma, it is right here. The awakened person coexists with this very confused man. Um, and the distance from here to there is... Okay, thank thank you. That's that's very helpful. Thinking of it more geographically that it's a straight line, but I understand it. I understand what you mean now. Thank you very much. I was going to, uh, uh, if we have a minute or two, which we might have, I was going to read something that I saw <laughs> that I saw in an old edition of the magazine, The Sun. Do you know that magazine? It's a great literary magazine published uh, in uh, North Carolina. And, um, and I subscribed to it many years ago. And uh, then the subscription stopped. And then my wife took pity on me and resubscribed. But I was looking at an old edition uh, from March 2006, and saw this in it. This is uh, uh, the issue. This issue, the theme is dreams and that sort of thing. And uh, and this is a quotation from a uh, um, 20th century uh, Romanian uh, philosopher and. Uh, uh, Um, um, teacher of uh, of religion, and what he wrote was, and suddenly I understood. Everything became extraordinarily clear and simple. Everything, life, death, the meaning of existence, and even stronger than this revelation was my surprise. How had no one on earth yet understood this thing so extraordinarily simple? I had a feeling that a message had been transmitted to me that I should remember so as to be able to communicate it to men. I woke up and with this idea in mind, not to forget what I had seen. A second later, I had forgotten. I think that's a story about what happens when we <clears throat> when we wake up in a dream. This is a story about the dream of awakening. Millard, it looks like you wanted to speak. Yes. Well, hi, Stuart. 
I uh, ran across uh, something uh, a few hours ago, and I think you might enjoy it. Uh, it's uh, from uh, a Mr. B, our friend Bodhidharma, saying, uh, the deluded believe that Buddhas liberate mortals. The awakened understand that mortals liberate Buddhas. I thought you yes. might enjoy that. I do enjoy it. Thank you very much. It is, a, it is an expression of what is known in Zen as face-to-face transmission. or uh, Buddhas awaken Buddhas. Buddhas liberate Buddhas. If it were, if a deluded person were only a deluded person and not a Buddha as well, how could a deluded person awaken a Buddha? But the Buddha in the guise of a deluded sentient being that is awake and awakens everything. It's, it's said in the, uh, in the Pali Canon, there is a, a, a Buddha describes his moment of awakening. And he says that at that moment, at that time that he awakened, he said, how wonderful, how wonderful together with all beings, I am awake. Thank you. He didn't leave anybody out. Thank you, Millard. Thank you, sir. Getting awfully close to now. Uh, if we don't have more questions and comments, perhaps we should. Yes. One last question. Um, thank you for your talk. Um, I guess it's not so much a question as um, just a reflection on uh, hearing you kind of um, talk about. Um, the chant and, and talk about the, the one point that really struck me was when two arrow points meet and that just for myself uh, brought an element of grace which I, that's immediately what I thought of was, you know, an element of grace of not, not having to strive to achieve what I already am and um, an element of how could I strive to achieve what I already am just as how could two arrow points meet. Um, and it gives me, this reminds me of, you know, when I when I sit and there's that immediate, like, okay, let me, let me get to this certain spot, or let me get to this place. But that feeling of uh, complete serenity is uh, when two arrow points meet, you know, the, the teacher aiming it up into the sky 
uh, aiming for the ego with you know knowledge that it's quite impossible to do it, and yet it happens. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. The uh, yeah, the uh, danger that <clears throat> that in our practice that we practice with the sense that we're trying to get something is uh, is one of the great dangers of practice. Um, we all, I think, so far everybody that I know who started to practice started to practice thinking that he or she was going to get something out of it get to be a better person, get to be a smarter person, get to be a nicer person, get to be some some other kind of person, get to be an awakened person, an enlightened person, a respectable person, something, something. I myself started practicing, hoping that I would become a little bit more tolerable person. But, uh, but that, uh, that striving to get something out of practice is a, is a great, is a great danger. So, uh, so practice requires the energy of striving, but not the, the energy of striving, but not the goal of getting. And that can be difficult, complicated to do, to make full on effort with our hands completely open. I'm in a show about nothing. <laughs> Shall we... Uh, <laughs> Activities at this point. Would this be a good time to do that? If anybody has something that they would really like to share, I'm open to that. It seems it seems like people are kind of ready to go on, go on and maybe get some sleep or something. <laughs>